0: Our passage this morning is Genesis 49, verses 28 through chapter 50, verse 14. This is the Word of God. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people, Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abram, or Abraham brought, bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it uh, were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his, his servants, the, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die in my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company." When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with very great and grievous lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore the place was named Abel Mizraim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field at Machpelah to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. Let's pray. Father, I ask that You would add Your blessing to the reading and now the proclamation of Your Word. I pray that You would help us all to... Uh, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We pray in His name. Amen. For a Christian to thrive in, the, in living the Christian life, is it more important to look backwards to the cross where Jesus paid for our sins? Or is it more important to look forward uh, to heaven where we will be one day? I ask you that question. Is it it more important to look backward to Christ and the cross or forward to heaven where we are going? Well, of course, it's a trick question. It's a trick question because both directions are vitally important. But I ask the question because many make the mistake of looking in one direction or the other and excluding the other direction. Someone look back to the cross uh, and justification. They walked an aisle. They prayed a prayer. They were baptized. They joined the church. Everything's good to go. Jesus saved them so they know they're going to heaven. And it makes little difference in how they live their day-to-day lives uh, because the content of their Christianity in their mind happened 2,000 years ago. And so they only look back. Um, and it has little relevance for how they live their lives today. Others only look forward. They are very concerned about whether they'll go to heaven, whether whether they'll be able to get into heaven. So they try to live their lives very carefully, try and live their lives very obediently, so that when they die and they stand before God, that He will be impressed with them enough to let them into heaven. And of course, they know that Jesus died for their sins on the cross, and they believe it, but they haven't really looked back on the cross and on what justification means and what the atonement means, because they're too busy looking forward, and they haven't uh, looked back enough to grasp the implications of the cross and what Christ has done for them. And then, of course, there are those who neither look back to the cross or forward uh, to heaven because they are so consumed with all the daily circumstances, the daily troubles and cares of life, that they can't look backward or forward. They're just looking at their problems, and their problems seem so big that they're ready just to give up. If this is you, I'm not saying that you don't believe Jesus died on the cross or you don't believe in heaven. But what I am saying is that your gaze or your focus is not in any one of these two positions because your present present circumstances has captured your whole attention if this is you let me urge you to spend some time in Matthew chapter 6 verses 25 through 34 where Jesus teaches us not to worry about our present circumstances also uh, I would urge you to consider Matthew 13 verses 18 through 23 where Jesus explains the parable of the sower and how the cares of this world can choke out a person's faith It is dangerous to allow these present circumstances to so overpower your faith. And it's also necessary that in your faith, that you look in both directions, back to Christ and His finished work, and to the glory that awaits us. And our our passage this morning invites us to look in both ways backwards and forwards. And so here we have Jacob. As he looks forward to his death, his thoughts are turned backwards to what God had promised to his forefathers. He is insistent that his body be transported for over uh, th- over 300 miles minimum, probably closer to 400 miles from Egypt all the way back to the land of Canaan so that he can be buried in the cave with his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. Why is this so important to Jacob? Well, the very first thing that God promised to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12 was that God would give Abraham and his descendants a land and that He would also make them uh, into a great nation. And so Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, which was in the land of Babylon, and traveled westward to the land of Canaan because of these promises. Things were more difficult for Abraham for Abraham than he could have imagined. Here he is, and you can just imagine you leave your hometown in what you think is obedience to God, and then you get there, and things are difficult. Difficult beyond what you could have imagined. I've got a friend I think who's going through that right now. Um, left left home, went to another another town in another state. Things are difficult. It can be very discouraging. And so here's Abraham. He got to the promised land. He suffered through a terrible a famine. He left the land of Canaan and went down to Egypt. His wife was almost taken from him while he was in Egypt. He came back to the land of Canaan. His wife again was almost taken from him. He had to go to war to rescue his nephew Lot. And then, most dishearteningly, his wife was barren. God said, leave your country. Go to this land where you've never visited. Leave your family behind except for his nephew and his father who uh, died in the land of of, uh, Haran. But uh, basically, go to this land where you've never been because I have promised you that you will uh, have this land, you and your descendants, and you'll be made into a great nation, and his wife is barren. You remember as we looked at these passages how discouraging it was to Abraham And God continually reminded him. And God reminded Abraham one day, actually one evening, took him out, um, had him look up, at the stars, and, and God said to him, So shall your offspring be. As many stars as you can see in the sky, you're going to have that many offspring. And they had no light pollution as we have. I remember being in Uganda looking up at the sky and just how many more stars there seemed to be. Um, uh, out and of course it was a different different uh, sky because I was on the, the equator so things looked different but there was also just so many more stars than I had ever seen uh, because there was no light um, intruding and so God said to him so shall your offspring be against all outward circumstances Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. And so, Jacob's insistence that he be buried in the cave with his forefathers is a certification that he believes the same promises. In fact, you will remember, I made a big deal of this when we came to this passage, this field of... of uh, Ephron, the Hittite, was the first parcel of property that Abraham owned in the promised land. And so there was this great, a big deal made of of how he went about purchasing this plot of land that had this cave in it so that he could bury his wife Sarah. uh, Jacob is insistent, take me back there, bury me. With my forefathers, and this is a decision that came at some cost, because the love of Jacob's life was not buried there. Remember Rachel; she was buried, you all know, in the land and uh, the, the city of that came in the area that came to be known as Bethlehem. But here, Jacob is insistent: "Don't take me there. Take me." And bury me with my fathers. And so verse 31, they bury, there they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. And so, um, Jacob, who often struggled to live by faith, certainly is dying in faith. He is affirming his faith in God's promises. His priorities are oriented around the promises of God. And I think this is the most important thing that God wants us to get from the book of Genesis. He wants you to build your life upon trusting in Him. The just, Habakkuk, and uh, repeated by Paul, the just shall live by faith. This is not a one-time glance back to Jesus when you became a Christian. In fact, this is not even a weekly uh, glance backward on Sunday morning to remember Jesus. The trust that God is calling you to is a daily trust in God that is based on the finished work of Christ. And so we do look back, but it also propels you forward. Uh, To make faith oriented decisions um, that are centered on your future inheritance in Christ. Let me ask you are you living by faith? Are you making faith oriented decisions? Are you so aware that you are going to live in glory forever? that you are making decisions that cause you to, to, to let go of some of the things of this world? Or do you grip so tightly the things of this world? Because you're not living with a faith that is oriented toward the glory that is yours in Christ. I realize that's a mouthful. Let me try and put some flesh on this that last statement about looking backward and looking forward. Because of what Christ has done on the cross, when you place your faith in Him, you are completely accepted by God. You, your sins are forgiven. You have a perfect righteousness. And this righteousness doesn't come from yourself. This righteousness comes from Jesus Christ. And not only that, you are adopted as God's Son. And so we as Christians, we are to look back on what God has done for us in Christ. That should be the foundation upon we build, upon which we build our faith. But then, because God has made you His child, He has changed you, His Holy Spirit lives inside you, He is at work in you moment by moment, making you more like Himself even in spite of yourself. He's making you more like Himself. I don't know if I said that clearly. In spite of yourself. He uses your circumstances. He uses the people around you, even your enemies. And He also uses your failures to make you more like Christ. Most of all, He uses His Word in your life. And He uses your faith to conform you to the image of Christ. And so, day by day, He is making you more like Christ. Day by day, you are headed toward glory, where you will be made perfect in righteousness. Perfect in your thoughts, your desires, your actions, your words, where you will never sin again. And so, daily, you are headed toward that. And daily, He is making you who you will be in Christ. So, um, because you are headed to heaven to live in His glory, God is calling you to prioritize your, your decisions by faith around the things of God. I wish I could go on, but I need to transition uh, to chapter 50, verses 1-14. through 14. Here in this passage, we have all these details about Jacob's burial. Why are these details included in the Bible? Why do we need to know that Jacob was embalmed and that the Egyptians wept over him for 70 days? Why do we need to know that that Joseph asked Pharaoh's permission to go back to the land of Canaan and bury his father? Why do we need to know that the children and flocks and herds were left back in the land of Goshen? Why do we need to know that they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, why do we need to know that they grieve for Jacob seven days before they crossed the Jordan River uh, into the Promised Land? I, frankly, I was stunned. What am I going to do with this? How am I going to preach this? Well, the key to understanding all these details about Jacob's burial is found in verse 10. Verse 10 says, When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father seven days. They're here on the threshing floor of Atad, which it specifically says is beyond the Jordan. In other words, it's on the east side of the Jordan. Then the question becomes, what are they doing on the east side of the Jordan River? The normal route from Egypt up to the land of Canaan would have been to stick close to the, to the Mediterranean Sea. In fact, that was a very well-traveled uh, trade route right up around, uh, uh, along the, the Mediterranean Sea. That would have been the safest route. That would have been the quickest route. Uh, But that's not the way they went. Apparently, what they did was they went off across the Negev, which was a very dry and arid, almost desert uh, region, went down uh, south of the Dead Sea, circled to the east of the Dead Sea, and came up along the Jordan River. This would have taken longer. It would have taken them, of course, through a desert region, and it would have been less safe. It makes no sense why they did this. But it's the same route that the Israelites took um, over 400 years later after the Exodus. And when you make this connection, all the other connections begin to fall in place. Pharaoh asked Moses... I'm sorry, turn that around. Moses asked Pharaoh for permission to leave Egypt and go and worship. Joseph asks Pharaoh for permission to leave and go bury his father. In this first instance, of course, Pharaoh said yes. Uh, In the Exodus, Pharaoh said no. Uh, Pharaoh said, did not want the, the Israelites to take their children and their flocks and their herds, uh, but leave them behind in Goshen. Here in this passage, uh, the children and flocks and herds are left behind in Goshen. Uh, the, uh, oh, one other thought um, was there and it just slipped me. Uh, but the, the point here... Is that the Israelites, or or Moses, when he wrote this, he wanted the Israelites to see these connections and to remind them that God is faithful to his promises. If we're to look forward in our own faith, we had better have a strong trust that God keeps his promises. Uh, If we have a wishy washy idea about God's faithfulness to his promises, we're going to have a wishy washy faith. We will try and do things for ourselves rather than trusting in God. Uh, If we have a wishy-washy idea about God's faithfulness to His promises, we might start out in faith. But when things get difficult, we'll revert back to, to relying on our own resources. And so Moses, in writing this passage, is making sure all these connections are not lost on the Israelites as they are traveling uh, up this way into the Promised Land. And it is a sermon to them reminding them that God is faithful. In Hebrews chapter 11, we are reminded of God's faithfulness and also reminded of how God... Um, wants us to exercise faith, how He wants us to exercise faith uh, in His promises. And then you, you end chapter 11 and you move into Hebrews 12 and the readers are exhorted to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of their faith. If we are to thrive in our faith, if if we are to to look forward in our faith We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, what He did for us, but also on the fact that He is in heaven waiting on us and that we are in Him and that He is taking us to be where He is. So that the Bible says now we are citizens of heaven. Right now, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, your citizenship is in heaven right now if you are in Christ um, your your mind is set on heavenly things where Christ is seated at the right hand of God and if you are in Christ all of his riches and blessings are in Christ and he is in heaven and he will make sure that you will be where he is. And that all that He has promised for you will be yours. So if we are to thrive in our faith, we must fix our eyes on Jesus. We must remember that He saved us from our sins to deliver us from our sins. We must remember that, that uh, if He is for us, nothing can be against us. We must remember that uh, even though each day has enough trouble of its own, that we should seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and He'll take care of us. So don't simply look backward. Don't simply look forward. Look backward and start your day on the finished work of Christ and on what He has done for you and what He has promised to do for you, and you go forward in faith. Jacob placed so much emphasis on his burial because he knew that when he closed his eyes in death, he would open them anew in God's presence. And it wasn't anything to do with the locality. It was simply an expression of his faith. It took Jacob a long time to fully understand how to trust God's promises, but he finally learned. If you struggle in living by faith, Remember Jacob and how patient God was with Jacob. Also remember the consequences of Jacob's lack of faith. And remember how God um, ended up grabbing hold of Jacob's heart and how Jacob indeed did learn to live by faith. So what about you? Are you living your life? and prioritizing your decisions based on future glory that is yours in Christ? Or are you living as if the world um, is all there is, or that this world is more important than your future glory? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, whether we are looking backwards or forwards, help us always to keep our gaze upon You. For you died 2,000 years ago, but you gloriously rose from the grave, and you were seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for us now, pulling us heavenward, pulling us toward glory. And God, I ask that you would help us to live by faith, not by sight. Help us to make faith oriented decisions as individuals, as family. As, as a church body, help us, O oh God, not to rely on ourselves, but on Christ. He is our life. We pray in His name. Amen.